This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to the top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. BFM 89.9, I'm Chong Jensan and this is The Breakfast Grill. 2022 was a year full of volatility for many asset classes including equities, bonds, commodities, currencies and also cryptocurrencies. Notable events last year include the Russian-Ukraine war, aggressive tightening by the Fed, Elon Musk, many shenanigans and the collapse of cryptocurrency exchange FTX. As we look into 2023, with China reopening its borders, what does the future hold for the many asset classes? and where should investors be keeping their eyes on? Joining us in the studio is Mark Mobius, who is known as the godfather of emerging markets. He has spent more than 40 years working in and travelling throughout developing economies. Prior to launching Mobius Capital Partners in 2018, he served as Executive Chairman of Franklin Templeton Investments Emerging Markets Group. Thank you for joining us this morning. Good morning, Mark. I hope you've been keeping well. I would like to start the conversation by touching on some of the key business trends in 2023. Firstly, on oil and energy markets, all reach a high of 120 to 130 US dollars a barrel last year at the height of Russia-Ukraine war, but it's currently trading at just above US $80 a barrel. What are your thoughts for the oil market in 2023? The oil price situation, I think, is going to not get better. Let's put it that way. I believe that oil prices probably will inch higher as we go forward. Of course, you know, it's a supply and demand problem. Uh, If the demand is not there, always oil prices could fall. But I think recovery of economies around the world are in place and demand will be there and therefore the demand for oil will increase. But how do you see the Russia cuts in production in terms of the price cap that is imposed on Russia? Will that impact price direction moving forward? I don't think it'll have an impact on the free market price. Of course, the Europeans have put a cap on how much they're willing to pay. But at the end of the day, the free market will prevail and the prices set by OPEC or basically by Saudi Arabia will be the key thing to look at. Do you think OPEC Plus is gaining more influence now? Uh, Yes, definitely. There's no question that they're very influential. The fact that uh, President Biden went there to beg them to beg Saudi Arabia to do something about the oil price is testament to that. Mark, on technology now, 2022 was a difficult year for tech, and in particular, the Nasdaq was down 33% with a series of rate hikes by the Fed. On top of this, in early October of last year, the U.S. imposed a ban across the sale of high-end semiconductor chips to China, citing concerns that technology may be used for military purposes. What are, view- what are your views on the tech sector this year and the geopolitics that surround it? Uh, you must remember the tech sector is big. It's, it's divided into many different parts. You have software developers, you have hardware developers. Uh, then you have uh, companies that are doing the various services like Amazon, Microsoft, and so forth. So uh, tech indexes were not doing very well, mainly because many of these companies were not earning money. So when interest rents rates went up, uh, then these companies were not very attractive anymore. So you saw a decline in the tech index. But if you look at individual companies, you'll see that many of them are continuing to do very well. If you look, for example, at the Taiwan Semiconductor Area, TSMC, and all of the smaller companies that serve the TSMC environment, uh, the software for the chips, you'll find that they're doing quite well. Do you think that TSMC face a Taiwan straight risk now? 
now? There's no question that there is a big risk with China threatening to invade Taiwan. And of course, the Americans have stated very clearly that they will defend Taiwan. I think President Biden has said that three or four times. So then you also have to look at the Japanese involvement. The Japanese are now ramping up military preparedness for such a war. So this is a real big risk, not only for Taiwan, not only for China, not only for the U.S., but for the world. Because if a war starts, then we're going to have a real crisis globally. But they're also moving some of their production in the U.S. They're building a 40 billion Arizona plant. But I guess that they won't come on stream anytime soon, right? That's right. And also they won't equal what Taiwan is doing right now. As you know, you're talking about high-end chips. And uh, Taiwan Semiconductor now does about 80% of the world's high-end chips. It's very difficult to replace that. Okay, Mark, moving on to uh, cryptocurrencies. The market was worth up to US $3 trillion in late 2021. In 2022, we saw the collapse of many crypto firms, but the most significant was crypto exchange FTX. I've seen your US 10,000 prediction on Bitcoin. What are your broad views on cryptocurrencies, your thought process behind it, and where do you see it heading in 2023? Well, whenever anybody asks me about the crypto market, I always say I don't like to talk about religion in public because basically crypto is a religion. Uh, You have to believe in it. And there are many believers around the world, there's no question. And many people have gotten rich as a result of their belief, but now many people are poorer as a result of that belief. I believe that uh, crypto will survive, but you will see it in a different form in terms of transfers of money across borders, which are more convenient than having to go through government regulations or the SWIFT system. But definitely we're going to see more turmoil in the crypto market. Will you expect more regulation and scrutiny from the regulators with the recent collapse of FTX? Definitely. The U.S. is finally woken up to the threat of crypto collapse. Uh, As you know, many of these crypto companies were taking deposits as if they were banks and offering 5%, for example, interest rates. And of course, many people got trapped as a result of that. So I believe there will definitely be regulation uh, going forward. Is there also a risk of concentration and centralization? Uh, Data provider Crypto Compare, they found that Binance, the world's largest exchange, has more than 60% share of spot and derivative crypto markets. Yes, it's very, very dangerous. And uh, there are now concerns about Binance and its ability to meet its obligations. Although the founder has said that everything is fine, then uh, let's, you know, we have to see what's happening. Uh, most importantly, where is the audited set of accounts, which have not appeared at all? So what do you make of Cathy Wood's prediction of Bitcoin that will reach 1 million by 2030? <laughs> Maybe in her mind, it will do so. Again, as I said, it depends on faith. If enough people believe in it, then of course it will go up. If people lose their belief, it will go down. Mark, the darling in 2020, 2021 was the private equity market, which was considered patient capital. But with the era of easy money and low rates long gone, what does this hold for the private equity market going into this year, especially in light of the leveraged nature of the portfolios, while valuations in the public market have also compressed? Oh, there's no question, as I mentioned, with the higher interest rates, many of these uh, tech companies that were not earning money and are still not earning money are going to go down and are going to be shunned by any private investor. Uh, However, private equity investment is still viable and is still a very, very important part of the entire equity environment. So I believe many of these private equity firms will continue to do well and continue to develop new companies. PE firms getting a little bit more selective now in light of some of the poor showing from the recent listings such as Grab and GoTo and C Limited. Yes. Uh, and the reason, of course, is that these companies' uh, profitability is uh, missing. That's the problem. Uh, many of these companies have an incredible uh, list of 
clients and are doing a lot of activity. But at the end of the day, it's profits that mean something. And if interest rates go up, people will continue to look for dividends that are higher than the interest rates in banks. Mark, the global property market is correcting fast with rising interest rates. In the US, um, I read that Manhattan apartment sales fell 29% in fourth quarter, which was the largest since the third quarter of 2020. The China government has also to step in with its 16-point incentives for the sector. What are your views on the global property market, particularly in the US and also the developing markets in Asia? Well, as you know, as a result of COVID, governments around the world, starting with the US, but including all, almost all governments around the world, started printing money. And we had an excess of money supply. That created this crypto boom and also the boom in real estate. So people, you know, who had made millions or even billions in crypto went to Manhattan and paid whatever the price was. Now that situation has changed. And with money supply being drawn in, drawn back in order to fight inflation, uh, you can see these property prices continue to go down. I believe that probably that downturn will end by the end of this new year. Uh, then next year, you'll see a recovery. All right. We've seen more property owners also have to refinance loans at far higher interest rates or sell assets to meet redemption requests. How do you see this situation uh, panning out? Well, that's uh, the problem. As these interest rates move up, people will find it much more difficult to refinance. And those with debts will have to just exit and sell their properties at very low prices. Mark, I'd like to get some of your thoughts on commodities in general this year and for the next few years. Uh, do you like soft or hard commodities and why? I um, am not a big fan of commodities generally, um, simply because they fluctuate. They, they're very volatile. I prefer companies that use commodities and are able to adjust their um, operations in line with what the commodities cost. So I would say it's best to keep away from commodities as a pure play because it's very volatile. So what is your view on gold prices? It's, it has been moving up. I think it's up like 4% year to date. It's inching towards 1900 uh, US dollars per ounce. Do you have uh, some thoughts on, on it uh, this year? Yeah, I think it will continue to uh, be at these levels and maybe even go higher. As you know, gold does not move necessarily with the markets. And uh, however, with the drawback in money supply, probably the gold prices will stabilize at these levels. Wouldn't China reopening really help the case for commodities? Uh, yes, uh, already it has. You can see some of these commodities begin to recover. Uh, and as China uh, opens up, you'll see more of this take place. But more importantly, there are other players around the world that are going to be using more and more commodities, such as India. Don't forget, India has the same population, even higher population than China, and they're going to require more and more commodities as they move into big manufacturing. On the breakfast grill this morning is Mark Mobius of Mobius Capital Partners. When we come back, we will speak to him on China's reopening, Asia stock markets, Elon Musk, and his investment strategy, BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. BFM 89.9, welcome back to The Breakfast Grill. In the hot seat is Mark Mobius of Mobius Capital Partners. Before the break, we spoke on the macro trends in 2023, such as oil, technology, cryptocurrencies, and property. Mark, China equities, and in particular, the Hang Seng Index is off to a great start, the best since 2018, led by property and technology stocks. Are you a China bull in 2023? Uh, no, 
I'm not a China bull uh, simply because of this Taiwan situation. If China, if Xi Jinping decides to attack Taiwan, then it's going to be all over and it's going to be a situation that we had in Russia where those people who were in the Russian market immediately lost everything they had there because they couldn't get it out. And this will happen again if uh, China attacks Taiwan. So I think we have to be very, very cautious about China. Now, of course, companies' prices have come down dramatically, but uh, many people are still very wary of China as a result of this big downturn. As you know, China represented something like 30% of the emerging markets index. So many people were hurt as a result of that. So they're going to be cautious. But if you were to buy, say, some sectors or stocks in the China market, what would it be? Uh, Tech. It would have to be uh, concentrated in the tech area. With the sanctions imposed by the U.S. on China, China is going to have to ramp up its semiconductor production and everything associated with it. So you're going to see a lot of uh, expansion in the tech area. What about the e-commerce space like Alibaba and Tencent? Chinese regulators have also approved N Group's plan to more than double its registered capital, a sign of progress in resolving regulators' concerns. While Jack Ma has also given up control of their entity, uh, would you have a view on these companies? Uh, yeah, these companies are, are nice companies. They're doing very well, but their profitability is somewhat weak. They're not that, uh, the return on capital is not that high. So I would be cautious with these companies. I think the big growth is already over. Uh, overseas expansion will be limited because of the political environment. So I would be cautious on those companies, although there's no reason why they can't rise in price as a result of the general upturn in the China market. Would you prefer the U.S. e-commerce companies uh, as, as opposed to the China tech one? Again, the same problem you have with the U.S. companies. Uh, if you look at Amazon, for example, the return on capital is not that high. Uh, the good news is that they're uh, reducing the workforce to make things more profitable, but uh, it won't be enough, I believe. It'll take a lot more than that. Mark, are you surprised at how fast China reopened and relaxed its COVID-19 restrictions? And what are some of the implications of this? Uh, well, first of all, there'll be an expansion of COVID cases at the beginning. But I think at the end of the day, herd immunity will take place in China and China will be on track again uh, with a, a more vibrant economy as a result of that. Do you think China's healthcare system is strong enough to withstand a potentially huge wave and more hospitalization? Uh, yeah, I think they'll be able to handle it. As you know, uh, the Communist Party is, uh, has got a very tight control on the healthcare system and uh, they'll be able to uh, meet the challenge. There'll be difficulties along the way, but at the end of the day, they should be able to meet that challenge. Would you have any insight into the CanSino inhaled vaccine Seen and so far, the positive early results for its messenger RNA jab. Is that working wonders for the population? That's a good question. Um, as you know, China, I think, made the mistake in not accepting the Pfizer RNA, the RNA uh, of the other companies as well. And uh, therefore, they had this big problem. Uh, now they're beginning to uh, adopt some of the Western techniques. And this might be the answer for them to avoid a big, big increase in COVID cases. Mark, moving the conversation to the U.S., uh, the Federal Reserve officials are committed to fighting inflation. They're expecting higher interest rates to remain in place until more progress is made. But we did see a more moderate CPI number yesterday. What is your view on when the Fed will pivot and will there be a rate cut this year or next year? Uh, you must remember the Fed is looking at a 2% inflation rate. We're now at 7 So we've got a long way to go. And I don't think the Fed will let up. They will continue to try to keep rates high. Uh, I would think that if for any reason the CPI jumps up again, they they could raise rates to as high as 7, 8, 9%. So we have to watch
watch this space carefully. And by the way, related to that, of course, is the price of oil. If oil prices move up, uh, then gasoline prices in America move up. And that's a very, very big indicator of inflation uh, for the Americans. So the market is wrong then. The market's pricing in a, a rate cut this year and markets continue to rally. Yeah, you must remember that um, the market does not necessarily follow the interest rate uh, level. There are many cases, if you look back in history, where interest rates were very high and the market was doing very, very well. So it'd be a mistake to say, oh, because interest rates going down, the market will go up or vice versa. Mark, I have to ask you about Elon Musk, Tesla and Twitter. I've seen strategists describe the 70% dip in Tesla's share price as Musk Twitter driven. But we have also seen deliveries for Tesla also disappoint and their ongoing price cuts even in China. He has also had to reduce his stake in Tesla to finance the Twitter acquisition. What do you make of all this? I think he's got a real problem because he was borrowing on the basis of his Tesla shares. So he's leveraged on that. And of course, if the Tesla share prices go down, the banks want more collateral for the money that he's lent in order to buy Twitter. So it's a really a big bind for him. And of course, it was easy to predict that it doesn't make sense for Twitter to be used by uh, Musk in this way because the, the amount of money he's spending is incredible. More importantly, uh, Tesla was not worth Chrysler, Ford, and many other companies combined uh, in market capitalization. That didn't make sense. So now we're coming back to reality. So you won't be a buyer of Tesla at these levels? No. You think there's a lot more downside? I think probably there's more downside because you must remember companies like Porsche, all the other major oil car companies are now producing electric vehicles. So they're doing a good job at it, by the way. How about SpaceX? Uh, they're going through another round of fundraising and could soon get its first orbital test launch, potentially ushering an era of much lower cost space flight. Do you have a view on SpaceX? Uh, well, you know, you can have failures. You, know, you don't need many failures to have people doubt whether this venture makes sense. Uh, but there's no question that the private sector is going to be more and more engaged in space going forward. But uh, I'm not sure whether it's going to be a necessarily a good investment. Mark, I'd like to get some of your views on the Chinese EV space. Uh, BYD, which has a much larger variety of offerings that comprise both plug-in and pure electric vehicles, it saw its retail sales in China double in December, while Tesla's fell 42% are the heydays of Tesla long gone and are the Chinese players really catching up and narrowing the technology gap? Yeah, I think the Chinese pl players are really coming along quickly, uh, partly because they had the battery technology. You must remember, electric vehicles depend on a very good battery technology and the Chinese have that. And more importantly, the Chinese government has been uh, mandating electric vehicles to be used on Chinese roads. So this is going to be a big benefit to the Chinese manufacturers. Do you like any companies in this space? Again, I'm not too excited about the companies <laughs> because uh, the amount of investments that they have to make means that their return on capital is not very good. What yeah. would be the right proxy then to get uh, exposure to the EV space? Will it be through the battery uh, companies or uh, yeah, commodities? Yeah, the batteries and more importantly, the, the people who produce the components for batteries. Mark, I know you're expecting India to gradually replace China as a manufacturing hub. I've seen your reports on this. We've also seen Apple move some of their manufacturing there. What are your arguments for 
about India and do you like the stock market there as well? Uh, there's no question that India is coming up. India is where China was maybe 10 years ago, but they're moving up very, very fast. Uh, there's a digitization of the Indian economy taking place. Uh, Mr. Modi is really heading that effort and ensuring that the Indians take full advantage of the technology that's available globally. And of course, uh, many companies want to diversify out of China because of the risk that they face as a result of Taiwan and many other factors, the, the U.S. imposition of controls on China technology. So India is in a sweet spot because they've got a billion plus population. They've got a lot of smart engineers, a lot of smart people, and they've got uh, an incredible uh, free economy. It's, it's a democracy. Are there any sectors or stocks that you like there? Uh, yeah, we're invested in the healthcare sector. We're also involved in uh, companies that make components for infrastructure. Uh, and we also are looking very carefully, as I said, in the technology area. There are not many listed companies that we can buy in that area, but we're definitely looking at it, except for software. We've invested in software companies as well. Can we now talk about Asia and other ASEAN markets? What are the broad themes you see this year and which markets do you like? Well, it's interesting to see how Southeast Asia is benefiting from what's happening in China and the, and the U.S. Uh, the U.S. impositions on China uh, means that a lot of manufacturing is going to move into Southeast Asia. And already we've seen that take place here in Malaysia. I just came back from Penang and uh, some of the manufacturers there men mentioned to me that they benefited from what's happening. So Malaysia will benefit, Indonesia will benefit, Singapore, Thailand, Vietnam, all these countries will benefit from what's happening in China and the move away, or let's say the diversification of manufacturers away from China. But within the ASEAN market, what countries do you like? Do you have a view on Malaysia? Uh, yeah, we like Malaysia. Uh, we like Thailand, uh, but most importantly, India is really the place right. to be. So within Malaysia, do you like the manufacturers or is there another sector which uh, yeah, are positive? Yeah, the manufacturer, the tech, the tech area, manufacturers, and some of the software companies. Any <laughs> names in particular? I don't want to name any names because we may be buying. <laughs> all, right, all right. So Mark, at this stage of the market cycle, are you advocating uh, value or growth stocks? Uh, well, we don't differentiate between value or growth. We look at both factors. As I mentioned, we look at companies that have low debt, preferably no debt, uh, particularly in this era of rising interest rates. We look at companies that have a high return on equity, high return on capital. Uh, and we look at companies that have earnings growth, of course. We want to see that EPS growth at least 10% a year. How about bonds? Is it finally time to be weighted in this asset class after so many years of underperformance? We're not too keen on bonds. Generally speaking, we prefer equities. Uh, but I would say at this stage, it's a little dicey. Uh, you have to watch very carefully because you can get into a bond, particularly if you get a, a long-term bond, interest rates go up, you immediately lose money. You have to be very careful. In your mind, Mark, what are the possible Bellac Swan events which investors have not really thought about, which may occur, say, in the next five to ten years? I know we talked a bit about the risk in Taiwan, but what other Black Swan events are, are there? Uh, of course, you still have uh, the situation in Russia and Ukraine, which could expand. In other words, the Russians could decide to expand uh, that war into the rest of Europe. So you have this risk. And as you mentioned, of course, the big risk is Taiwan, China. But then beyond that, you have the impact of technology and the uh, problem of hacking into systems around the world. We've already seen a few incidents where electric power systems, uh, pipeline systems were hacked into and disturbed. The problem with 
we're facing globally is that everybody has got a chip in their in their home, in their refrigerator, in their air conditioner, in every appliance has got some kind of chip which can communicate with someone else. So this is a danger for safety, for confidentiality, and so forth. So I think that's probably a global phenomenon that we've seen that holds some danger for everybody. So should investors be looking at cybersecurity companies then? Definitely, exactly. In fact, we were looking at one here in, in Malaysia, which is doing that work and doing a good job. Mark, if an investor has, say, US 1 million of capital, now assuming moderate to high risk tolerance and an investment horizon of about five years, where should he or she put his money? Equities. Uh, there's no question. The best uh, investment is in listed equities globally. By the way, this is very important. Malaysian investors should not restrict themselves only to Malaysia, but try to go global. Invest in America, invest in Europe, in Japan, in India, and so forth. Uh, try to be a global investor because the best bargains will be found if you have a wider selection. Any percentages in terms of exposure? How much should be in developed markets versus emerging markets? How much to India? How uh, much well, to US? I'm an emerging market fan, All right. so I would say you know most of it should be in emerging markets. But of course, nowadays um, it's very difficult to differentiate between an emerging or developed markets. For example, in the US market, there are many companies who have a majority of their earnings or assets in emerging markets. So uh, I would say it best to take a global approach. And lastly, Mark, what keeps you awake at night? The only thing that keeps me awake at night, at night is not being able to find a good investment bargain. <laughs> so that's really what we're searching for, those best bargains. So have you been having any sleepless nights? Uh, always. Always, <laughs> all right. On that note, thank you for your time. Today on The Breakfast Grill was Mark Mobius of Mobius Capital Partners. I'm Chong Jensan, BFM 89.9. The BFM Breakfast Grill is brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.